The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the, uh, the end of chapter 14 in Luke, uh, and so what we, where we find ourselves is uh, Jesus has just been at a dinner party for the Pharisees. Um, they threw a bit dinner party, and he told some parables that really kind of went after the hypocrisy within their religious context. They weren't being faithful to who God had made them to be. And so here we have Jesus offering what it means to follow him. Luke 14, verse 25 to 34. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, And even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, or likewise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish all that he has begun. um, uh, Sorry, I got lost in my notes here, or my, my... text is so small. Where was I? Verse 28? Anybody who's 29? Anybody who's got a real Bible? I clearly don't have a real Bible. Otherwise, he said, uh, he, when he laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who sat see it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to war to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to Uh, with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him, with 20,000. And if not, if he's not able to overtake him, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegate and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And he concludes with this. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, as we open your word and hear the call of discipleship and the cost of what Jesus has laid before us in discipleship, would you help us to experience more deeply his nearness, the value of who Jesus is, and why we count any cost in following him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I realize that as we start this passage, some of us may um, be experiencing in one way or the other uh, the first verses in a particular way, right? We're just celebrated Thanksgiving, and some of us may feel like, yes, I, I do in fact hate my family. <laughs> um, I hope that's not your experience. Uh, Thanksgiving is one of those odd holidays where um, if you have a good family experience, it's fun. If you have negative experiences, it's kind of a torturous experience. So like here at the Recovery Center, we, we have uh, the pancake breakfast that uh, was done this week. And um, that's not by the church. That's just the Recovery Center. And um, I think there was like about 120 people who came this week. It was fantastic. I mean, and the, the purpose of that is really to say, like, some of us don't have great experiences or relationships with our family, 
and some of it's due to our previous addiction or for various reasons. And so we can read these verses where Jesus says, if anyone does not hate his father and mother, come after me. He can kind of raise some experiences like that. And I think some of that is because our relationship to our family, whatever that is, in a certain sense, informs how we think about the question, who am I? Who am I before God? Who am I to myself? Who am I to my family? And often when we have negative experiences with our family, we look at our family and think, man, if it's true about them, it's true about me, and I don't like X, Y, or Z. Now, when Jesus comes into the picture and he asks us the question, who are you? He goes after it in this particular way. Because Jesus is interested in answering the question, who are you to yourself, to God, to your neighbors? But he's not interested in leaving you there alone. Right? When he calls you to what we call discipleship, he calls you to himself. Discipleship is just this term that we use to say people who follow Jesus, who walk after Jesus, who are identified with Jesus himself. It is a way of being a human being that is identified with who Jesus is and everything that's true about him, we want to be true about ourselves. So when we come to this question, it's called the, we call this kind of the, the cost of discipleship. Jesus is very clear. Uh, to follow him to find out who you are in him is not just a free ticket to paradise. It, it does cost something. And we want to kind of explore what that means this morning. Not because I'm trying to tell you, like, we're going to get to he who does not renounce his possessions. Therefore, we're going to take up a huge offering at the end of church or anything like that. What we're aiming at here is deciding and discovering who we are in Jesus. So the main point this morning the cost of discipleship is finding all of yourself in Jesus alone. So we're going to pick up here in verse 25 and 26, and we're just going to basically answer the question, what does it mean to be a true disciple? A true disciple loves Jesus supremely. We're going to focus on 26, but I'll read 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters... Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's interesting, I don't know if you've picked up on this, here in verse 25, it says there was a great crowd accompanying him. It's a bit of a difference of saying, right, there is a group of people that were around him, and then Jesus is trying to say, I want to define, I want to put up a, a fence around the people who are with me, right? There's are people who are around Jesus, but he wants to say, who are the people that are with me, right? That's why it says, you know, Jesus says, this is not verse 27, who does not bear his own cross and come after me or follow me. He's making a difference between those who are just kind of around, who think he's a neat guy, magic tricks, all that type of stuff. Jesus is saying, I'm going after something different here. He uses this first kind of shocking statement. Whoever does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, it's interesting, I mean, we, it's a stark statement, right? It's not just kind of like, he who does not prefer. But it is kind of going after this statement of, it's not that you have to actually hate your family. Right, that's not what he's going after. It's an old, it's an ancient way of kind of describing pre, um, order of priority, right? 
Who is of first importance to you, right? You can think of it in, in multiple different ways, right? Like, if I were to go buy a car, it's not that I necessarily hate Ferraris. <laughs> it's just in terms of priorities, there's no way that, first of all, that I could afford a Ferrari. But secondly, it's like my preference, the first order of importance is stick shift or Ford, whatever. Here, it's not so much as saying that, like, if you walk out this door to sit today as a new disciple, you need to go and, like, tell your wife or husband or your brothers, like, hey, I hate you, or Facebook post, hate my family, or anything like that. It's just a matter of saying, these people that are closest to you cannot be what defines who you are at your core. It's not about your family, therefore, kind of becomes your identity. It is, in a sense, who is going to be at the core of who you are. Jesus says, even if he does not hate his own life. Right? This is not a way of hating who you are, like a shame idea. This is saying, even my own sense of who I am, I need somebody else at the core of me to help me understand myself. I don't even understand myself well enough to have confidence in me. This is Jesus going after and saying, at the core of you is somebody that must be there in addition to you. You must have at the core of who you are a person, but that person cannot just be you alone. Because often we don't understand ourselves. Jesus comes closest into the most inner parts of who we identify with and says, I want to be at the core of your identity. And the offer of Christianity is fascinating. Jesus doesn't come and say, I want a set of doctrines right in the middle of who you are. I want a set of ideals. I offer you these ideals of what it means to be a human. He doesn't say, I want to give you a brand of what it means to be in heaven. Brands and ideas and doctrines, as helpful as they are, cannot love you. I, I think there's a lot of great doctrines in the Bible. Who God is, things about creation, things about the world, things about who God is and how he saves us. But our doctrines about God do not love us. God himself loves us. So when Jesus offers us himself, he doesn't offer us a doctrine about himself. He offers himself as the one that is the center call of Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean to believe these things about God that is true. It means the person of God himself. Jesus, as a person, wants to be at the core of who you are. Right? So, for example, we have 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1. Um, we have that slide. There we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? These are all true things, but they're not just true things of like we write them down on a piece of paper and, yeah, we like that stuff. Or we'll go to that movie. Um, I'll like that. I'll follow that Facebook page or follow that Instagram feed. No, these are, are true things, but they're true things about a person, God himself, 
who has done these things, and by the way, just as I like to point out, blessed means this, it's a God who's happy to be God and happy to be God for you. So then the response over in 1 Peter 8 and 9, so though you've not seen him, right? I don't know if anybody's seen Jesus today. I doubt it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, Christianity is offering you the person, Jesus Christ, who is pure humanity, who is a pure person, who has love that is not corrupted by any sense of manipulation or power or control or demeaning you or dominating you. He is himself gentle and compassionate. He is himself full of infinite mercy and grace. So that when we offer Jesus, both here in our lives, we're not offering some kind of like self-help cat poster Jesus. We are offering a person who himself loves you. That is something that is beyond just mere good things to say about God, true things about God. It is a person who loves you. So when Jesus calls you to hate, hate your family, he's not saying you hate them. He's saying that at the core of who you are, when you think about your self-identity, I am somebody who is defined, left to myself, by sin and death and destruction. And yet at the core of that, Jesus loves me and came to fix those things. That's what this is going after. Let's pick up here, verse 27. A true disciple follows Jesus sacrificial. I got, I got tripped up earlier. Thank you, Mary, for helping fix me. <laughs> I want to read these verses, and then I'll break, it, I'll break this into kind of three parts of what it means to follow Jesus sacrificially. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not at first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegate and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So the three things that we kind of want to pull out of these verses in terms of the sacrifice or the cost of discipleship are, uh, can we go to the next slide over? Carrying a cross, thinking it through, this is what it means to live sacrificially, and renouncing possessions. I think these are fairly straightforward, but let me just kind of pull these out a little bit. Self-denial here in verse 27. If anyone does not bear his own cross and uh, come after me, cannot be my disciple. Right? There is a self-denial. There's not a self-hatred, like self-flagellating, like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm ashamed of who I am. But there's a sense of saying, 
I don't always know or even know what's best for me sometimes, or a lot of the time. In fact, I need somebody to help me understand myself because I'm just a confusing hot mess. I'm not sure if that would be describe your, to describe your experience, but that's kind of what Jesus is going after and saying, you, you need to have, have an understanding of yourself that says, I need somebody else. I need Jesus, he would say in this situation. I need Jesus to help me understand who I am. Right? The question here is, are you willing to see yourself for who you truly are? That is, broken, right, marked by sin and death. Are you willing to see yourself for who you truly are, but more importantly, find Jesus there with his mercy, grace, and compassion? The other mark of sacrificing is verse 28 to 32, thinking it through, right? Okay, so you have basically two images here. Right, Jesus says, to be my disciple, the cost of what it means is basically, uh, did you think it through in terms of kind of a general contractor? I don't know if anybody hears the word contract, you know, construction before, but a general contractor is somebody who thinks through a building project, ex- you know, figures out all the costs, all the subcontractors, who's got to be involved to kind of figure this all out. Um, did you think it through or did you kind of wing it? It's kind of the general idea there. And then the second one is related to kind of military terms of service, right? Uh, I, I keep getting this ad on my iPhone for Instagram, like uh, in terms of games, that's got like, uh, this is a tangent, I'm sorry, this is a shiny object. <laughs> Have you guys ever had like this ad where it's like you're trying to like move a character where you can like double the amount of, of things that you've got or half it or whatever? It's like a, a trail thing. Okay, at least some of you are, are at least honest enough to admit that you know what I'm talking about. Other of you are like, no, I, I don't have a problem with my phone at all. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, there's this game where you like double the characters or you subtract them and you're winning against zombies. I don't know. <laughs> See, all right, light bulb moment. Some of you know what I was talking about here. That's kind of these two images. So the first one, let me just kind of deal with this. It's likely in an agrarian culture where they were building barns on a regular basis that that would have been what Jesus was talking about. Like, look, if you're going to build a barn, like, do you know what you're talking about? I think it's probably maybe, uh, maybe um, because he mentions laying a foundation, it might be more of like a military idea of like for a military insta- installation by the Roman uh, occupiers of, of the land, you would have basically laid a foundation and built it up to be an offensive position. Do you know how, do I, how you're going to make progress is basically... Um, what, what Jesus is saying here. There's going to be uh, powers at B that are going to come against you and your discipleship and what it means to follow me. And are, do you have a sense of understanding how you're going to address the opposition? Similarly, the, mil- the, the war image is you have a power coming against you. Do you know how you're going to stand up against it? And in this image, he says, I think the idea is Jesus is coming to town. <laughs> are you able to make peace with a power greater than you? I think those are the kind of the images that are going on here. It's not so much kind of like embarrassing yourself in front of other people as it is when you think about what it means to follow Jesus. Have you thought 
I, I not only know, don't know who I am, I don't know what it means to follow him. Like, I don't know, things are going to get hard. Things are not going to be easy. Things are going to be difficult. That's what Jesus is getting after with this kind of think it through category. Uh, if, I, if I can put up this next slide here, this is similar to how, if you're in a 12 step program, how you, the first three steps, right? First three steps of a 12 step program, we admit that we're powerless, to, uh, powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Second step, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. I think this is actually capturing what Jesus is talking about in these verses. Now, in the 12-step program, there's a broad category for folks who are Christians or not to help them understand and come to terms with their um, addiction and sobriety. But it's the same idea, basically, like, how are you going to understand yourself and how are you going to understand what it means to follow God? And I think Jesus would just say, the cost of discipleship is to say, there's more than just alcohol that can be a greater power in your life. He's just mentioned family that could be a greater power in your life than Jesus in terms of overrunning your faith. Um, he's going to mention possessions. Your, your desire for possessions could overrun your faith. Your um, anxiety about being accepted with other people could overrun your faith. All of these aspects of what it means to effectively life becomes hard, Jesus is saying, what is your game plan for when life gets hard and things don't go the way you want them to? What do you mean? And Jesus isn't saying, look, in order to be a Christian, you first have to kind of sit up and, and write a business plan of, here, when things get hard in my Christian life, here's what I'm going to do. What he's offering you is saying, when things get hard, the cost of discipleship is leaning to Jesus, leaning towards him, understanding I don't have the solutions, and the things that I tend to go towards don't have the solutions that are going to be healing for me. Leaning towards Jesus is the idea of what Jesus is saying here. Let's just finish here this cost of discipleship. Renouncing possessions. Number three, if we can go back to the previous slide there. The idea here, we've talked about this in the Gospel of Luke. Money comes up a lot. Luke loves to talk about money. And it's not because he's like, like any sort of like church guy like trying to get people, get people to give money. He's going after money because in the ancient world, money would have basically been the way, or possessions would have been the way in which you established your security and status in the culture. So when he says money or possessions, renouncing possessions, he's going after our backup plans for depending on God, right? You think about when things, when you get pushed and somebody offends you and you're like, man, do you know who you're talking to? Do you, you know, and, and what do we go to? I'm fill in the blank. You know, I've done fill in the blank. Those are kind of the possessions that Jesus is going after when he's saying, are you going to deny those things? When people push you, man, I, I say this as a pastor and I'm like, dude, I did this like a month ago. I, can you believe this guy, you know, does he know, blah, 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 you know, you fill in the blank, and you, you know, there's, there's a place for ranting and kind of getting, blowing off steam, but in terms of, like, 
my Christian discipleship, what it means for me to be a Christian. When I start dabbling with pushing people around because of whatever degree I've got or certification or whatever sort of you know, history I've got or reputation that I've got, leaning on those things, Jesus is saying, in order to make it as a Christian, in order to be my disciple for the long haul, you must renounce using those things and accept the way of the cross, which is, I trust God for the strength to see me through the death that I want to avoid. And death will still come, but there is always new life on the other side of death. Let me see how we're doing on time here. We'll make a few comments here and then we'll move on. What Jesus is going after here is where will you look for your sanity and help in life? Right? Jesus is not offering you an idea of how to make yourself better. He's not offering you a pathway of how to make yourself better. He is offering you himself as the way to understand who you are and what it means to find new life. That path for him leads to the cross where he will lose all power, where he will be forsaken by his family, where he will be overruled or overcome by the powers that be. And it's through conquering of Satan, sin, and death at the cross through his death and in his resurrection that then he then turns to us and says, when whatever the cost that you're experiencing has been filled by somebody who has seen death in the face, been overcome by it, and breathed in new life. So that whatever the cost is for you, for me, we're not just kind of accompanied by a nice Jesus. We're accompanied by a Jesus who has seen death through, died, and is has resurrected to new life so that our cost is filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. Is this tracking? Am I, are we following? Or is, okay, just make sure, I just want to make sure that I'm not just getting sweaty up here because it's hot. <laughs> you see, we're going to find in the Gospel of Luke that what Jesus is offering gets at the difference between, for example, Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter both experienced difficulty in their faith. And frankly, both of them betrayed Jesus. Judas hardens around turning away from Jesus and forsaking his mercy and compassion. Could you imagine the story of Judas, how it could have been different? Frankly, Judas and Peter didn't do much different than each other, right? Judas could have come to Jesus after the resurrection, remorseful. But he didn't. Peter waded through the pain of how he had relied on other things than Jesus and still found resurrection power, new faith, new life in Jesus through the death of seeing himself for who he truly was. That's, that's 
that's, I think, what Jesus is getting after here. Right? It's not that you don't experience pain and suffering and hardship. It's, in fact, that Jesus is with you in that. Where do you understand... Where do you, when life is terribly hard and unbearable, do you understand yourself to, to be somebody who needs to look for Jesus, look to Jesus. Okay. Let's finish up here. Ah, spam, spam phone call. There we are. Does anybody else get those? A true disciple follows Jesus consistently. 34 to 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either to the soil or to the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So um, here's, a side, here's a kind of lowdown on what salt, uh, what's going on with salt. In the ancient world, they would, have gotten, they, they would have gotten salt from the Dead Sea in that context where they were. They'd gotten salt from the Dead Sea, which was mixed with other minerals. And so when it evaporated, it would have looked like salt, but not tasted like salt. And so Jesus is kind of going after that idea because I don't know if you know anything about salt. There is no way to make salt lose its saltiness. So there's a scientific dynamic here where you can look at what Jesus is saying is like salt can't be unsalty. Like that's the nature of what it tastes like to be salt. He's going after this general practice in the ancient world of you would get salt by evaporating water from the Dead Sea. It looked like salt, didn't taste like salt, became pointless and useless. In the ancient world, salt was used as not only a preservative, right, if, uh, to preserve things longer, but also as a way of therefore making things last longer and being life-giving in terms of food and sustenance and all that. Jesus is saying this vision of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow him, this cost that we're talking about, is actually the way in which God's mercy and compassion shoots through life into our neighborhoods in our community. Right? Salt, preserving food, that gives more food for our neighbors and our community and our family and friends. Jesus is saying, this way of living, this way of being a disciple, this way of finding your identity in Jesus, it doesn't just have a way of reordering and shaping your internal life so that like, now I understand God's mercy but now you live in a way that is God's mercy for others. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, I want you to be like me, and I want that to have an effect in how it shapes and renews and preserves and gives life to the people around you. So I'm not sure whatever context you find yourselves in this week. I mean, this last week, maybe you had a Thanksgiving thing, maybe you did it. This next week, you're going to have opportunity whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's just your neighbors that you don't like, whoever it is, to experience context or situations that push you or demand something of you. And so you'll be asked the question, who am I? If you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, you have this invitation. I am somebody who doesn't have all the answers. And I am with somebody, I'm with Jesus, who has been the answer of mercy to me. So can I, can I be compassionate for just 30 seconds longer with somebody? Just 
a minute. I am somebody who doesn't have all the answers. In fact, as you would say in an AA program, right, my best thinking got me here. My best thinking often gets me in trouble. Can I embrace not knowing the answers for somebody else and just be a person of compassion for them? I'm not sure what all this means for you, but at the core of this is the invitation. There is something that it costs you. Being somebody who thinks they have all the answers, they have the, the sense of who they know they are, and in fact, when you turn to Jesus and follow him, you find somebody who sees you for who you are. All that that means. And it's not a brand, it's not an idea, it's not a Facebook group, it's a person who loves you and wants to see you not only made new, but to be a way in which sharing, to be somebody who shares his mercy and compassion with the community you're in. Let's pray. Jesus, as we've looked at this and attempted to understand what it means, this cost of discipleship, would you help us to find ourselves more deeply in who you are? It's for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.